So last week we started this foot washing narrative and we saw that Jesus humbled himself to wash his disciples' dusty feet when the disciples wouldn't humble themselves to wash one another's feet. And certainly that action is meaningful in itself, as we will see next week when we look at the ethical implications of what Jesus did as he sets himself up as an example for his disciples. As we'll see next week, at a basic level, Jesus has given us an example of humble service, which we should follow. We should humbly serve one another. That's what we'll be looking at next week. But there is more to it than just that. There is a symbolic element to the foot washing recorded here in John chapter 13. We're looking at verses 6 to 11 today, which I just read. And we will see that Jesus' washing of the disciples' feet symbolizes or represents a spiritual cleansing which we all need. But before we connect the dots with the foot washing, let's start with just looking theologically at the way Jesus washes us. So we're not yet in the text of John 13. First, as a baseline, we need to acknowledge what the Bible tells us, that we are dirty and that we need washing we need to accept this, that we are dirty and that we need washing before talking about the washing, um, the way that Jesus, before talking, let me just try that again. <laughs> we need to acknowledge that we are dirty and that we need washing before talking about the way that Jesus washes us would make any sense. Obviously, if we are not dirty and we don't need cleansing, then there's no point talking about the way Jesus washes us. The scripture plainly teaches us that not only are we guilty, but we are also defiled and corrupt. So we have a twofold need of washing. We have a need to have our record washed clean, as our record is blemished. And we also have a need to have ourselves washed, because we ourselves are blemished. Let me illustrate that twofold need with a mental picture for you. We are like a small child of school age who has come home to mommy and daddy with bad grades and mud all over him. And so there is a bad record and also the person himself, the kid himself is dirty. And so someone needs to take a pencil eraser or rubber and wash the bad grades away, so to speak. And someone needs to hose down the child before he comes inside. There is this twofold problem in a case like that. There is a bad record, and there is also uh, the just personal dirtiness in a situation like that. Obviously, it's not a perfect analogy, but I think you can understand what I mean when I say there's a problem with the record, and there's a problem with us, ourselves. There are four theological concepts that we need to understand in order to understand John 13, 6 to 11 properly. First, justification means that we are declared righteous. Our report card shows straight A's, 100%, level 1's, whatever terminology that you might use. When we are justified, our record is clean. For Jesus has given us his righteousness. 
which hasn't actually changed us, but it's changed our record. And he's taken our guilt upon himself, which hasn't actually changed us, but it's changed our record. We have essentially, in justification, we have essentially switched report cards with the best student in the class. And so he has taken our failing grades upon himself and recorded them under his name. Well, we have received his perfect test scores as if they were our own. We've recorded them under our names. Justification has nothing to do with how muddy our clothes may be. Justification has nothing to do with how well we've performed on the test. Justification has to do with what our report card shows. It has to do with what our record shows. It is legal, forensic. It is not transformative. If the worst student in the class and the best student in the class switched report cards and the worst student in the class had his name written on the best student's report card and the best student has had his name written on the worst student's report card, it wouldn't actually change their level of comprehension. It wouldn't change their level of performance. But their record would be drastically different as a result of switching report cards. This is something like what happens in justification. The record is changed, but the person himself is not changed by virtue of justification. The scripture has a category for bad people being declared good without actually being changed. Romans 4 and verse 5 for example, says that God justifies who? The ungodly. God justifies the ungodly. So they are still ungodly, and yet they are justified, which is declared righteous. The report has changed, though the person has not changed. This is a legal, forensic transaction. It is not a transformative transaction. Justification does not pertain to how clean we may or may not be in our person. So even after we are justified, we might still be dirty. Let's look now at our next theological concept. Regeneration. Or being born again, as Jesus says in John chapter 3. These are interchangeable terms. And regeneration, or being born again, refers to a change that is made to who we actually are. There is a washing of our innermost person. There is a change to our moral nature. The scripture describes it in various ways. As a change from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. As a change from blindness to sight. And also as a change from dirty to clean. Consider, for example, Ezekiel 37 and verse 25, which says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. These are all parallel statements. They're all saying the same thing. They're just saying it different ways. So... 
in Ezekiel's words, removing a heart of stone and replacing it, is parallel to sprinkling clean water and making clean. Likewise, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11, we read, You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The fact that washed is placed closer to sanctification than to justification in that context indicates that it's not a washing of the record, which is being referred to, but it is a washing of the person. And since being washed is distinguished from being sanctified, it seems that regeneration is what is in view there when Paul says washed. At the beginning of the Christian life, in fact, antecedent to our response of faith and repentance, God must change our heart. God must actually transform us. He must change who we are. He must wash us from our corruption. And this washing from our corruption is called regeneration. When I say that it is antecedent to our response of faith and repentance, what I mean is this. It has to happen first. We have to be regenerated before we will feel like having faith in Christ. We have to be regenerated before we will feel like turning away from our sins toward Christ. Because apart from that washing, we don't want to trust Jesus. We don't want to repent of our sin. And so there must be this washing, this changing of our nature, so that we will repent and believe. This first thing is called regeneration, being born again. So we've looked at two theological concepts so far. The first is justification, which is a change in the record, but not a change in the actual quality of the person. And we've looked at regeneration or being born again, which is a transformation of the innermost person, a change, a washing of the heart. Let's look now at a third theological concept, which is progressive sanctification. This refers to the process where we are gradually and incrementally made cleaner. This is not a perfect analogy, but the rainfall that we had last week seems to have largely washed away the ash from Sassoufrid. However, it's obvious upon close inspection that not all the ash has utterly and entirely been washed away. I was out cleaning my dog kennels yesterday and there's definitely still some residual ash around. But I will tell you this, when I let my dogs outside now, they're getting way less dirty than they were before the rainfall. So it is something like this with regeneration and then progressive sanctification. Regeneration doesn't make us perfect, but it is a marked, definitive, clear change in our nature that, that orients us away from our sin and toward Christ and makes us substantially cleaner. Not perfect. If regeneration made us perfect, we wouldn't be sinners anymore. Christians would just be holy people that went around never sinning. And obviously we know that that's not the case. The Bible doesn't even lead us to expect that. So both our experience and the scripture tells us we're not perfect by virtue of regeneration. But it also tells us that we really have been washed in regeneration. Progressive sanctification then picks up sort of where regeneration has left off. And we're, we're, we've been washed 
but we've not yet been washed perfectly, we could say. And so progressive sanctification is this washing that God continues to do, making us more and more what we ought to be until we are one day holy and blameless, conformed to the image of Christ as He has predestined us to be. Progressive sanctification is the cleaning up of even the remaining corruption that remains after regeneration or after the new birth. Okay, now let's look lastly at the concept of reconciliation. To be reconciled to someone means that you have worked out a problem between you that once separated you from one another. You're on good terms again now. Prior to the washing of justification, we were not reconciled to God in any sense. The scripture says that we were at enmity with Him, which basically means that we were enemies of God. We were under His wrath. However, as Romans 5 and verse 1 says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We are reconciled to God in an ultimate sense. But what happens now when we sin against God? We don't lose our salvation. We don't lose our status as sons. But it does disrupt our relationship with God as an earthly son's disobedience disrupts his relationship with his earthly father. So we need ultimate reconciliation, which happens once at the beginning of the Christian life in justification. From that day forward, ultimately speaking, we have peace with God. And yet from day to day, we need what we might call familial reconciliation, the root word being family, right? Reconciliation within the family. You don't lose your status as an adopted son of God. You don't lose your status as one who has been born again into God's family. And yet there is a disruption of fellowship, a disruption of communion with God. And we need that familial reconciliation over and over again. Now, all of that background. With all of this theology in mind, let's come now to the text of John 13, 6-11. And notice first Peter's objection to Jesus' washing of his feet. Jesus has risen from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Do you wash my feet? And in verse 8, he elaborates on this objection. You shall never wash my feet. <clears throat> As a number of commentators have noted, Peter perceives the incongruity of Jesus stooping to wash his feet. He knows that Jesus is above him, and so he said, Do you who is above me stoop to wash my feet? You shall never wash my feet. He perceives the, that this is incongruous. It shouldn't be this way. It's backwards to the way it should be. Peter should be washing Jesus. So, Lord, do you wash my feet? Peter perceives the incongruity of that, 
But he does not seem to perceive the incongruity of a disciple telling his master what he may or may not do. You shall never wash my feet, as if he's in charge of Jesus. Jesus responds to this objection in verse 7, saying that, okay, Peter, you're going to understand this later. You don't understand it now, but you're going to understand it later. Which refers to the period after Pentecost, when the Spirit will teach the apostles and illuminate their understanding. But it is what Jesus says next, which is more to the point of our study today. Jesus says in verse 8, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus is not making the point that he will not eat food with men whose feet are dirty. That's not what Jesus means. You know, Peter, I'm not going to sit at a table with a bunch of guys with dirty feet. If I do not wash your feet, you just, you're going to have to leave because I'm not going to eat food with guys with dirty feet. That's not, that's not the sense of what Jesus is saying here. First of all, that wouldn't even really be worthy of recording in the scripture. It would be a somewhat insignificant event of somebody who's very serious about physical cleanliness, but it would be of no spiritual significance. Um, but secondly, we also, we've already read in verse 4, remember that Jesus rose from supper, which means that they had already sat down to eat. Though the foot washing should have happened, first thing, as we saw last week, the disciples were all too proud to lower themselves and abase themselves to wash one another's feet. And so Jesus, waiting in vain, as that one commentator said, for one of them to step up and do it, finally, after none of them have done it and food's already been served, finally Jesus steps up to do what they should have done. So they've already begun eating. So Jesus is obviously willing, in principle, to eat with guys with dirty feet. So it doesn't mean that. Rather, Jesus is making the point to Peter that his washing of Peter's feet is symbolic of something else, which is absolutely necessary to have fellowship with Jesus. Namely, someone must be washed spiritually in order to have a share with Jesus. You can't just, you can't just be dirty and just have a share with Jesus. It just doesn't work out. This will become clear in verse 10, clearer in verse 10. But for now, just note the point that Jesus is indicating to Peter that more is going on than meets the eye. This seemingly trivial thing of like whether or not people, Peter's feet are dusty is not really the point. Jesus is indicating that more is going on than, look, I'm just getting the dust off your feet. He's indicating to Peter that there is symbolism beneath the foot washing. And whatever the washing symbolizes is necessary for Peter to have a share with Jesus, as our translation puts it. Now then, hearing that, impetuous Peter swings to the opposite extreme. After saying, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. Now Peter says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Peter wants a whole bath now. Peter responds by saying, or pardon me, Jesus responds by saying to Peter, the one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. Now here is the theological significance of this little interchange 
and this symbolism that's going on here in this passage. You need to be washed by Jesus over and over again. But you don't need to be washed entirely over and over again. Jesus, in the foot washing, is giving us a picture, a symbol of his spiritual service to us sinners. The humility with which he condescended to wash us clean. Though our sins were like scarlet, though our righteousness even our righteousness was as filthy rags in God's sight. Though we were spiritually like the lepers of old who had to walk around crying, unclean, unclean, lest somebody inadvertently, accidentally get too close and get infected by them. This was us spiritually. Our sins were like scarlet. We were like spiritual lepers. Even our righteousness was like filthy rags. And what happened then? As that old hymn says, the dear Lamb of God left His glory above. The beloved Son of the Father left His glory above to do what? To wash us. How, how unbelievable, how absurd, how incongruous that this exalted Son of God would stoop to wash us. This is what the foot washing symbolizes, that Jesus is going to serve us by washing us. Though Peter was right to be astounded that Jesus would stoop to wash his feet, Jesus insisted that it was necessary. Because there is no other way for a sinner to get clean. Unless Jesus wash you, you will remain in your state of sinful corruption. Your righteous deeds will never rise above the value of a filthy rag in God's eyes. Your sin will always be scarlet. And you will cry out and lament for all eternity, unclean, unclean. Unless Jesus wash you, you shall have no share with him. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Listen to me, all of you who are not yet trusting in Jesus. You need your record washed. You are like a student who needs a better report card. You need to be justified. And you have fallen in the mud and need to be hosed down. You yourself are dirty. You need to be regenerated. And Jesus came to serve sinners by washing us in these ways. That's the primary symbolism of Jesus washing of his disciples' feet here. He is giving us a picture, a symbol of his spiritual service to sinners. Though it's not his job, though he is not responsible for our sins, not his fault that we're sinners, though he could say, hey, not my job, tough luck, that's on you. Though he is the exalted one, 
the humility and the love and the concern with which he enters in to our plight to wash us when we could never have demanded that he do so. This is the picture here in this foot washing. This is what is primarily signified in this foot washing. We are dirty and we need to be washed and Jesus humbles himself, leaves his glory above to wash us. But listen now, the, the rest of you, those who are trusting in Christ as well as those not yet trusting. Listen to the rest of the picture. This is the point in verse 10 when Peter essentially asked Jesus to give him a whole bath. Having been regenerated and justified, it's as if you've already bathed for the day. Though your feet may need to be washed after a walk down a dusty street, you don't need a whole bath again. You don't lose your justification over and over every time you sin. You don't need to be born again, again, and again. Oh, you do need to be washed. You need to be progressively sanctified. Because regeneration hasn't made you holy and blameless. Exactly like Christ Jesus in his moral nature. There is remaining corruption. And so you need to be progressively sanctified. And your sins do disrupt your fellowship, your communion with Christ, with the Father, with the Spirit. You can grieve the Spirit of God. You can dishonor your Heavenly Father. And so you do need to get clean again when you sin. To restore the familial relationships, the family relationships. You need cleansing. So let Jesus wash your feet. You need Jesus to stoop at your feet, not just in the first place, but again and again throughout your whole life. Because making your way through this world is like taking a walk down the dusty street. You're bound to become dirty again and again and again because of your remaining corruption. But you don't need to bathe over and over again. This is Jesus' point in verse 10. Jesus came to serve us by washing us spiritually. We do need to be washed in the first place. We need our record washed. We need to be declared righteous. We need to give our bad report card to Jesus and get his good one in its place so that our record changes. And then we actually need to be transformed. We need to become more righteous. And regeneration starts that process. Regeneration is a, is a fundamental inward change which orients us in the right direction. But it doesn't make us perfect. So we need Jesus to wash us in the first place in regeneration, changing our nature. We need Jesus to wash our record in the first place in justification. And having been regenerated and justified already, we still need this washing of progressive sanctification. 
sanctification. We still need this washing, which is necessary for preserving the family relationships with God, our Father, with our elder brother, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Sure, we need washing over and over again. So cry out to God, Christian, for cleansing. Your feet are dirty, and they get dirty over and over again. Oh God, wash me and make me what I should be. Make me like Jesus. Bear in me the fruit of your spirit. Help me to keep your commandments and to love you and to love my neighbors as I ought. This should be the cry of Christians. Wash me. We need to be washed. We need to let Jesus do what he came to do and wash us. But appreciate that Christ has already washed the rest of your body, so to speak. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Yes and yes for the Christian. Yes, I have been to Jesus for the cleansing power. Yes, I have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Though my sins were like scarlet, they are white as snow. In one sense, we have already been washed. We have already been made clean. Hallelujah. I'm clean. I'm pardoned. I'm justified. I've been born again. Praise the Lord. Don't lose sight of the fact that you have already been washed. It is a mistake to deny that our feet need washing. But it is likewise a mistake to act like Jesus has not yet washed us at all, in any sense. So have you been to Jesus for the cleansing? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Yes and yes? Good. Now yield to the further servitude of Christ to wash your feet again and again as you make your way through this dusty world. Don't be so proud when Jesus stoops and says, hey, I want to make you clean. I want to wash your feet. I want to progressively sanctify you. I want to get relationships between me and you, between you and your Heavenly Father, between you and the Spirit whom you have grieved, between you and your brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to wash you. Don't be like Peter. You shall never wash my feet. This is why Jesus came, to wash us. Let the Lord Jesus wash your feet on an ongoing basis. Trust Jesus on an ongoing basis for all the cleansing that you need. Continue looking to him over and over again. Wash me. Forgive me my sins this day. Even as we ask for our daily bread, we pray in the same prayer, forgive me my sins. Go to God continually for washing over and over and over. This is part of what Jesus came to do. But all the while, don't forget the basic and fundamental cleansing that he has already provided. As Jesus says in verse 10, the one who has already bathed does not need to wash again, except for his feet. So keep all of the theology straight. Christian, you are justified. You are regenerated once and for all. You don't need to be justified again. You don't need to be born again 
again and again. You just need that ongoing washing as your feet get dusty, as you make your way through this world. That cleaning in the first place, that cleansing in the first place, that washing in the first place, and that ongoing cleansing and that ongoing washing, it's all Jesus. We need Jesus all the way through. For every type of washing we need, Jesus left his glory above to stoop and to wash us. Yield to that. Trust in that. Cooperate with that. That is the nature of the Christian life.